0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash
2: podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network.
3: Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. And yesterday, I made a delicious lentil and uh, tomato soup, saru, or uh, rasam. And uh, it was was a recipe by my guest. It's Chitra Agarwal. Hi. Hi. Thanks so much for joining. Um, We're here to talk about her latest book, Vibrant India, Fresh... (coughs) Vegetarian recipes from Bangalore to Brooklyn. Actually, your first book, so congrats! Thank you. And um, you were on the show like several years ago, uh, and I can't remember why. We were just talking about your blog. You, so you've been writing the blog, the ABCDs of cooking, for several years, and then you launched Brooklyn Deli, a line of uh, condiments. That um, yep. <clears throat> so you've really expanded, and now you have a book. That's so right. a lot has changed. <laughs> congrats! Thank you. Um, no, I remember why we were talking about the, whatever we were talking about <laughs> several years ago. I think we had a dinner um, at, at Jimmy's. Jimmy's. Yeah, number 43. and uh, I, I, Okay, so first of all, flipping through this book, there are so many fun memories of things that you've made, like for picnics or potlucks or for cook-offs. When I first met you, you made a Saru... Uh, what's it called? Gazpacho. Gazpacho. Yeah. For a cook-off, and you won it. <laughs> yep. And then I published the recipe for it on my blog. And I still uh, have that
4: that pot set that I. Won. Oh yeah, she won a
3: cook, <laughs> cookware set. Um, that was really fun. <laughs> that was like in 2008 or nine or something, and yeah, it yeah. was a while ago. But anyway, so and uh, you know, full circle, I made this recipe the original way, not the gazpacho way. Uh, yesterday from your new book. So congrats. This is so exciting. Thank you. Vibrant India. So, okay, Chitra, you go to length to sort of explain in the beginning, um, you know, you're not going to see chicken tikka masala in this book.
4: <laughs> yes,
3: yes. Yes. No so. chicken tikka masala. <laughs> because, you know, when we tend to think of Indian food here, we think of uh, samosas and hearty curries with uh, maybe some paneer, in um, mm-hmm. um, which is northern Indian food. Yep, but your food um focuses on South Indian. That's right. Um so your mother's from Bangalore?
4: Yeah, so my mom is from Bangalore in South India, but actually my dad is from North mm-hmm. India. So But they met in Bangalore. Yeah, they met okay, in Bangalore. So they they a... both went to school there mm-hmm. and um and so uh but this food is very much Bangalore style cooking. Right, South right. Indian cooking. Okay, so um
3: what are the distinctions, aside from, like, I don't know, those, like, kind of things that you think of when you think of Indian food, like the common dishes, the curries, and the chicken chicken, chicken yeah, yeah. and stuff? I mean, are there, because South India, India is a huge country, and uh, South and North are just really broad distinctions in
4: their own, right? Totally, yeah. I mean, if you go to the West and the East, you will find all different types of um, different specialties or uh, different ways of cooking, and um, but I feel that even within North and South, so there's a big difference between North and South. So it's like yeah, the so non curry hmm. roti, all of that that you find in many of the restaurant, the Indian restaurants is a lot of times North Indian cooking. Um, so and that's because.
3: More, uh, most of the immigrants who first came to America were from North India. That's right. And that's why we think of that.
4: That okay. was the first wave of immigration mm-hmm. from India was more North Indian. Um, and so uh, that's, that's the reasoning behind it. Now there's more South Indian, more people from everywhere, everywhere. in India. Um, but you will find, you know, some South Indian restaurants here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, it's just not as prevalent as right. the North Indian cuisine. Um, and I mean, there's so much... Variation. It's just yeah. like even in writing this there's book, there's so many
3: states within
4: South India. Yeah, totally, uh,
3: there's like and uh, you know you sometimes see that in restaurants, like or recipes. There's like the Goan stew or something like that, or the Carolyn something yes. curry. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are different states within South India itself. Exactly.
4: And I, yeah. I, tr- in the book it's, um, because a lot of South Indian restaurants in the U S you'll find, um, South Indian dishes in, in a Tamil language, which mm-hmm. is a different state than where my mom is from. Uh, so her, her language is Kannada. So uh-huh. I listed, uh, the recipes in her language, but sometimes if there was more popular dishes, um, Um, Then I would also put the Tamil Mm -hmm. um, word in there just in case. Right, right. So
3: would you say to be more specific, your book is mostly Bangalore style or um, what is it called? Karnataka. Karnataka, which is the state that Bangalore is in. Yeah, Or did you try to, like, get a swath of all of South Indian?
4: Well, I have one Kerala recipe in there, Mm -hmm. which is um, for avial, which actually came from my mother's childhood friend who married a man from Kerala. So So he became adopted in your family. Yeah. Yeah. But that dish is made in Karnataka as well. But um, for the uh, for the book, I wanted to get her um, her husband's family's recipe because I thought that would be fun to share so awesome yeah you know that it's really cool that you're you're
3: doing such a extensive job of of sharing this cuisine from would you i mean is it Bangalorean? is that like something i would
4: i guess i I mean you can say i mean it's it's funny because now there's so many different kinds of people from india living in bangalore just because of the tech industry it's a huge city yeah so um so it's it's hard to say but my my family has been in that area for centuries and generations. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I kind of refer to it as Bangalorean or Brahmin-style cooking uh-huh, to be even uh-huh. more specific.
3: Cool. Mm-hmm. So, OK, so we can go from South I- Indian then to... <laughs> um, but I really love that, you know, you go through lengths to describe some of the reasons for the ingredients used or not used in this book. Um, one chiefly meat yes (laughs) so these are all vegetarian recipes but you you say that um you know your family comes from this brahmin uh line Mm -hmm.
4: and then they have
3: certain rituals and things that they do or don't eat
4: yeah which is really cool
3: to learn because like you know it gives you context to what i'm cooking and
4: um, yeah there's a cultural history behind it all, and I mean, with my parents, they come from different castes, right? So um, my father's style of cooking has uh, may have ingredients like onions or, or garlic in mm-hmm. it, um, but my mom's family, um, those were two ingredients that traditionally are, are not cooked in Brahmin homes. Right. Um, I mean, as time has gone on, of course, onions have been introduced into a lot <laughs> of the cuisine, and I include onions in the book, um, but my mom does not cook with garlic even right. today. Um, I think I have like one or two recipes that have garlic in the book, which I think is kind of um, different from a lot of other Indian cookbooks that um, rely heavily on kind of like that garlic, ginger, Mm -hmm. uh, chili, onion. And onion. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really
3: <clears throat> i was I was actually wondering that when I was cooking this uh, lentil and tomato soup yesterday, <laughs> but actually onions and garlic are also something that they don't eat in really strict Buddhist uh, vegetarian diets too. Exactly, so, uh, along with heat, you know, s- spicy food and meat, of course. So there's there's reasons for this, and it it goes, it, it you explain really well, I think, how it has to do with overall well being and healthfulness, and it goes back to the Ayurvedic, you know. Groups of foods that and flavors and
4: so forth. So, yeah, it's definitely it's not just um, like know, it, kind of arbitrary. <laughs> like food as medicine. Really, right. I mean, right? So it's uh, this that holistic approach, mm-hmm. um, including yoga, meditation. Sometimes and, it's called the yoga diet. Right, right. <laughs> and bathing yourself before you cook. Yes,
3: you said your grandmother <laughs> never entered the kitchen to cook anything until she. Yeah. What is it like? Immediately
4: before you come in yeah. to bathe, or or, like, how, or, how soon or you just have <laughs> you don't have to bathe right before, but just you well, have you to, to bathe. Before. I was like, wait, what does this mean? <laughs> Yeah. Just just uh, I you a have lot, to shower so I before have to shower a lot. Yeah. Yeah, no making your <laughs> like coffee like um, just after you wake up. <laughs> really? Well, I mean, you oh. have to yeah, you oh have God. to you can't enter the the um, what kitchen. What if you
3: slept the night or bathe <laughs> the night before you slept? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I feel
4: like <laughs> I have to get back to you on that one.
3: <laughs> okay, one thing that is interesting is that um there's this spice called asafoetida. Yes. And if anyone has ever handled it or smelled it, it's very distinctive. And I could never quite put my finger on what it tasted like or smelled like, except for,
4: and I hate to say it, it smells kind of like feet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes, but it's can't... sometimes called like the devil's spice. or I feel like it's uh, its either people have a very strong mm-hmm. um, uh, Reaction to it. Some people love it when they smell it. I love and it. Some in the people food. are like, oh, it's just awful.
3: And it reminds me when I use it, I'm like, oh, that's that like magic touch that's in a lot of Tooth cooking. And whenever I taste it from like, say, a, a dose of vendor, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, it, it just ties everything together in this cuisine because it's very distinctive. Yeah. But um, it made sense that you mentioned that. Um, because they don't use onions and garlic, or your mom didn't, um, asafoetida sort of makes up for this uh,
4: pungency, I guess. Yes, yeah, yeah definitely. It's really interesting. It's I uh, yeah. when it's fried in oil, it kind of gives off this um, flavor of like leek or. or <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> no, It does, though. You're so right. And I
4: didn't. Leeks.
3: Yeah. But funky
4: leeks, like almost like ramps,
3: you know? Yes, totally. Yeah. And you don't
4: need to use a lot. It's basically like you just put a pinch in mm. to the oil. What? Is it It's what uh is asafetida? It's actually derived from the sap of a, a fennel plant oh. um, so it's a uh, it, it's a resin almost yeah, right? sticky. yeah so you can buy it in a whole form which I've done before from India, and then I grind it in uh-huh. like a my powder? blender yeah oh. and then but here in the US I mean mainly it's available in powdered form. Mm. Um, and I do see, I mean, a lot of times it's cut with, uh, like, wheat flour, a little bit of wheat flour. Oh, is that, like, a cheapskate version? I or? don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe it's too, uh, I don't know if it, it, it lasts it longer or it blends better. Yeah. I have no idea. But I know um, in uh, this in the city, they have a version that's cut with rice flour. Mm. So, for, like, gluten-free people. But then again, I mean, there's hardly any. You know, mm. you use, like... A tiny right, bit right. into each dish, so that's
3: true. Yeah. So, um, but it it lends that cr- that distinct. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say the chitra flavor, but it's, not- <laughs> it's not like a lot of people actually <laughs> <this> flavor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> um another thing that is used in South Indian cooking is uh coconut Yes. strips of like dried or fresh coconut is
4: that's a big it. thing yeah yeah it's a very popular ingredient um I mean it's a uh, a staple uh, crop that's grown mm-hmm. in the south it's used in almost every recipe and uh, I usually use an like, unsweetened yeah. version like yeah, nowadays I mean in the Indian shop I buy a frozen fresh grated coconut. That's very good. Uh, no sugar added, right. uh, but you can also use dried coconut in these recipes. Yeah, can I, I just use yeah. a bag of like Bob's Red Mill? You know the dried, yes. unsweetened coconut. Totally. Strips? Yeah, they have like these flakes, and you can Thanks even Bob Red them- them- <laughs> I know <laughs> <laughs> sponsor. Bob's- he like has everything, right? Yeah, <laughs> but like you can put that into a food processor and grind Ooh. it into um, shreds. If if or like, soak you want- it if you want it to be more fresh. Yes, and uh, yeah. in like hot water,
3: it'll plump up a little bit. Mm. So that that is a good way to use that. Would I, in a typical household in South India, would you just have a... <laughs> A coconut, you just scrape. it.
4: <laughs> yes, actually, really? okay. there's like a um, this really cool um, device that's like old. My mom has it's like a block, a wood block, and mm. then on it is a blade that comes off of it that has like a circular blade. So when oh, you cut the nice. coconut in you make the half slivers, yeah, you just oh, kind of cool. like grate it on there. But I mean, even now, my aunts and my mom, they all buy you know the, the fresh frozen wow. coconut. Yeah. Um, I know my parents house in bangalore they have coconut trees so my mom would actually um, have like get the coconut and and grate it and then dry it on our roof there mm. and bring it back so she would use some of that yeah. she would use it that way to be able to but preserve then it but how do you open the coconut
3: somebody has to get a like a yeah. hatchet <laughs>
4: yeah like my mom
3: used to use a hammer yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might, I, I see coconut sometimes,
4: so I might try that. It's, you know. Yeah, I mean, it tastes amazing. And the coconut water in it, even in the brown, you know, that coconut Double, versus yeah, the fresh, win-win. it's amazing. Which has nothing to do, I feel like, with the bottled coconut water. Really? It doesn't taste the same. Oh, it's,
3: yeah. Maybe they had to preserve it, and it's yeah. weird. Uh
2: weird.
3: <laughs> no, actually, that's interesting. Let's look into that more. Um, uh, we're going to cut to a quick little commercial interlude and be right back, Chetmore. more.
1: Red Mill has been milling whole grains since 1978. When you mill whole grains, you get all three parts the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. The bran, or the roughage, makes up about 14% of the whole grain. It's the outer skin of the edible kernel. It contains large amounts of B vitamins, some protein, trace minerals, phytochemicals, but most importantly, dietary fiber. The germ is only about 2.5% of the kernel. It's actually the sprouting section of the seed, what's gonna grow into a plant. It's usually separated during milling process because it contains most of the fat and therefore has a shorter shelf life. The endosperm is the main energy storage unit of the seed. That's where the growing plant gets its energy before it can start photosynthesizing and making its own. It makes up a huge portion of the grain, about 83%, and it's the main source that's used for white flour. When you make white flour, you get rid of the germ and the bran and just have the white endosperm left. It contains almost all the carbohydrates. It also contains protein and iron and some of the other B vitamins as well. It's kind of what you classically think of when you're thinking of flour. So all that's there when you're milling with whole grains. But when you mill with whole grains, you also get the bran, which is the kind of roughage. And gives the, that's what gives that, that kind of color to it. also gives you extra fiber that uh, helps you to be regular. And you also get the germ, which adds the fat and the flavor, which we all like from whole grains. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. All right, we're back chatting with Chitra
3: Agrawal. She is the author of Vibrant India and the owner of Brooklyn Deli. That's Um, Mm D-E-L-H-I, spices and condiments. Um, So we were just talking about some of the major uh, ingredients used in the South Indian kitchen. And I love that you don't try to water down, you know, you don't try to say, okay, well, you can just use a curry powder um, like mm-hmm. I've seen many, you know, recipes do and, uh, you know, probably out, out of laziness, I would do instead of hunt down <laughs> asafoetida and uh, curry leaves, which is another one that yeah. another ingredient used a lot. Um, whole curry leaves, that is. Yes. So why did you were you pressured to or did you feel like it would be easier? Because, you know, some of these things are not found um Actually, many of them are not found in a normal grocery store. Yeah. So have you heard, I'm sure you've heard the whole gamut of like, well, what can I use instead or mm-hmm. as a replacement?
4: Yeah, I uh, mean, I feel like nowadays you can order everything online. Yeah. You can even order fresh curry leaves online. So um, I I feel like if people have just, I think I go through it um, in the book in the beginning, it's like four of these ingredients. If they have asafoetida, black mustard seeds, dried uh, red chilies and curry leaves if mm-hmm. they have those four things you can basically cook everything a lot of the recipes in the book right. so you can even buy dried curry leaves but you would use double right, right so right. Uh, so i felt like that that's basically the the authentic or you know that's a traditional that's way to, There's to only, make it yeah um and so there wasn't really a I guess there wasn't really a substitute for curry leaves. No, there's not, I guess. Yeah. So I I didn't go there. <laughs> but I,
3: I just, I guess I see, you know, a lot of recipes for Indian, you know, quote unquote Indian recipes that are just to have one powder, um, I yeah. guess, a catch all for everything. So I think it's cool that, you know, you, you've kind of, uh, you know, exposed more and more of these flavors and what they are and aren't taking any uh, excuses or substitutions. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Hopefully not to my detriment. (laughs) No, but actually one thing you do in this book and in your business and in your cooking elsewhere and, you know, potlucks to uh, pop-ups is you use seasonal vegetables from here that would never be found in India. Yeah. So one example is the rhubarb in one of your achars. Yep. Uh, what are your What does your family Make of this Back in India
0: uh,
4: <laughs> do <they think> <laughs> I feel like um, Well a lot of them I mean my relatives Are supportive And a lot of them Are very excited About this book And mm-hmm. I think that Using seasonal vegetables Though it's something That happens uh, It's just this, the vegetables That I have here But yeah. it happens all over I mean my parents When they moved here To uh, the US They were using Probably different vegetables in these same recipes mm-hmm. than what they grew up having in India too. Mm. So I think that it's just kind of a natural progression, and it's also a um, it's it's not so far from the uh, the, the yeah the way, way that this you this eat. food is cooked anyway. Um, it's just that yeah. I have <laughs> these other different vegetables, maybe. That but then again, you
3: news. do have like a lot of recipes here that have. Um, Unique ingredients like the bitter gourd, yeah, um, which isn't exactly your daily, you know, (laughs) household staple, supermarket, produce aisle,
4: exactly uh, thing
3: here in the States, yeah. So there's a blend, yes, but um. Uh, you know and, and you use you combine like flavors and vegetables in a really interesting way like so for the sour gazpacho
4: and uh, yeah. or apl- applications I guess you could say so it would be like um, influences too just from mm-hmm. like living in New York I mean because we have so much uh, so many different uh, cuisines here so I, I did pull from some of those as well
3: yeah, yeah. like I was remembering the um, the bath cauliflower yeah <laughs> <laughs> am I saying that right first of all Vang- yeah yeah Vangiboth. okay And um, it's this... It's an eggplant dish, right? Yeah, bath. Yeah, but you use the the powder from it, um, their spice blend, to to roast some cauliflower in, which looks beautiful in this book. Oh, but I, I just have vivid memories of us cooking large quantities of this for, yes. <laughs> and like we couldn't get the <laughs> oven hot enough or something, and then they were like kind of like sad and
4: <laughs> soggy instead of crispy. <laughs> we also use butternut. I think we use butternut squash oh, right. and yeah. and cauliflower in in that
3: yeah so you could also do that when you come across this vangiboth cauliflower <laughs> dish. And it's, I'm sure it'll be much better than when we first <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: I, I think experiment. it was on top of some farro. We've served yeah. it on top of farro instead of rice because usually vangiboth is uh, an eggplant rice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
3: I, I think we must have made way too much because I have vivid memories of like having oh leftovers of this
4: for <laughs> like weeks. <at least. laughs> yes, probably. I, I think I just remember you Coming in with a lot of butternut squash.
3: <laughs> Oopsie. Uh, nothing wrong with that,
4: right? No, it's, it's good for your.
3: Uh, <clears throat> and also, okay, so one of the one of you and your husband Ben's hallmarks is whenever you come to the party, you have a huge tub, and I mean, like this plastic, <laughs> like. I don't know. I'm, like, holding, like... It's bigger than a globe. Anyway. It's the biggest
4: supperware everywhere. It's the biggest supperware that exists.
3: (laughs) And it is full of this uh, popcorn. (laughs) It's it's in this book, and it's called Ben's Popcorn.
4: Yes. And I love the story behind that. Can you tell how that was born? So I... um, When Ben and I first started dating, I taught him how to make some of the recipes, like, South Indian recipes, because he was really into just kind of like learning I, I think the first thing I taught him how to make was my lemon, the lemon peanut rice, oh, yeah. which is in the book mm-hmm. which he actually made this week too <laughs> so he he got really into it and um, so like the tempering of spices is a is a big kind of lesson to learn uh, before you make a lot of these dishes. Tempering you
3: mean like you melt some oil and then yeah. you put the, butter, the spices in? Yeah, so it's yeah. basically
4: like uh, flavoring the oil mm-hmm. with these spices and so the I taught him about hing, black mustard seeds, and the curry leaves. So he loves to make popcorn, and he basically flavored the butter for popcorn using mm. those same spices. Um, and then he threw in his own nutritional yeast. He's like, <laughs> Why not? of course. Yeah. And then um, and it was. I mean, we love it. We would take it to the. We still take it to the movies, <laughs> and we also take it to everybody's house. <laughs>
3: that popcorn is really good (laughs) but it's like the perfect application of um, your spices and I guess um, (laughs) yeah popcorn do they eat popcorn in India
4: yeah you'll find it in um, like street it's like kind of like street food you'll see like Mm. a big kettle kind of popping corn and then you can buy it on the street nice um,
3: there's so many more things to discover, I'm sure like yeah. you we're only scratching the like you are um, just you know <laughs> scratching the surface of all the applications, and it's exciting, so okay, so um what can the average person do to um, i guess prepare a economy uh, or the, their pantry, get their pantry ready for? Um, All these things. I know, okay, so I'm looking at this image of the spice tin. Yeah. And I've never had a spice tin, but everybody I know who is Indian has always had one. Yes. And it's this perfect, like, little round thing. It's a container in which you put all these containers of your own spices. um, Except for
4: hing, because it's too sticky. It's too smelly.
3: <laughs>
4: you <laughs> Where leave do you put that. that? In, leave that in its original container. <laughs> do you put it in the fridge? You hide it? No, I I just leave it in its own. Its hing own is thing is also
3: asafatita, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
4: There's so many different <laughs> words for things. Um,
3: I I mean, like, because I'm. I, you know, I've eaten a lot of your food and I've, I think I've eaten a lot of Indian food, but even like me, like I'm just kind of like overwhelmed. I'm like, what should I do with all these spices? How should I yeah. best, should I, what's the point of this spice tin thing?
4: So I think it actually plays a, a large part in the, when you're tempering spices in mm-hmm. oil, um, because uh, you're basically putting in a number of spices in quick succession into the oil. Uh-huh. Um, and. So the it's spice like a palette, thing comes in handy. You take like a painter's palette. Exactly. You go like, doo, 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 oh, doo, that's a good way to look at doo, it. Doo, yeah, doo, like <laughs> a Bob Ross. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I actually have I have two. I have one with South Indian spices and one with uh, North Indian spices, <gasps> too. So I'm just kidding. I know, I know. But with <laughs> this book, I mean, I try to really and when I when I teach cooking classes too, mm-hmm. um, I try and introduce the fewest amount of spices also mm. in order to cook like a rice, a yogurt, a salad, a hmm. dal dish or a lentil dish. Um, and I kind of like stuck to that um, in the book as well. Yeah. So you'll find that a lot of the recipes are kind of like based hmm. in this same uh, way of frying like a few spices and then starting the dish. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah.
3: Okay. So, so I, this <laughs> this is like a nice little kit then to have and just... It'll be your mise en place, I guess, when you're yeah. doing that those first steps. Okay. Now that makes more sense now. I just need to get one of these. <laughs> yeah.
4: You could buy yeah, yeah, you can
3: buy those online too or at the Indian shops. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the spices themselves too. Yeah. Which you can get online. You could also get Brooklyn deli online too, yeah. at Brooklyn <laughs> dot com. Okay, so your book is all vegetarian. You've been a lifelong vegetarian, and I'm sure everyone is saying or asking you, you know, how, you know, I don't see tofu or like I don't know (laughs) what's it called, like a a seitan or something. Yeah,
4: yeah. Um, How do you get enough protein? So it's, I mean. Lentils and beans and yogurt. So, the, I mean, this cuisine is centuries old, right? Mm-hmm. So, people in my family have been vegetarian for for that long, and I feel like the cuisine has been honed for nutrition and uh-huh. for taste as well. Um, and so, it's balanced in that in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean. I guess that's that I. Oh, I've been getting that question, yeah, since I was like a little kid. Even, <laughs> of course, yeah, no, but I, I love that you know you
3: you really back it up. Um, and um, do you think that there's a, a growing interest? Well, of course, there's a growing interest in eating more, uh, or less meat, I guess, and mm-hmm. legumes. But
4: is there a growing interest now in South Indian vegetarian cooking that you've seen? I mean, I think that, uh, for instance, there's been a boom in, in people that are practicing yoga mm. and, uh, the, there's also been, I think as a result, there's also been an interest in people kind of, wanting to understand the cuisine mm-hmm. behind the culture and as well rather than just tasting it from a dose of card yeah really too. yeah totally <laughs> so i think it goes hand in hand but also there is a growing population of people i think that are trying to follow a vegan vegetarian like gluten-free diet in, and i feel like mm-hmm. it lends itself to that
3: yeah and it's been around for much longer than uh some of these newfangled trends too like i don't know yeah uh, I don't know. Paleo, it's definitely meat. not paleo. Definitely really. not,
4: I don't think paleo is
3: vegan, though. No,
4: no. I'm not even sure what's on. De-
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, okay. So, Chitra, this book is beautiful and it's coming out
4: on Tuesday. Yep. And what are you going to do to celebrate? On Wednesday, I'm having a party at Green Grape Annex in Fort Greene, 7 to 9. And there should be, there's going to be, actually that popcorn is going to be there. Nice. <laughs> We're going to have um, appetizers and I'll be there signing books and you can buy a book there. and Get we'll a have, signed book. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And um, so, so
3: Green Grape Annex in Brooklyn. Anywhere yes. else? Um. I think in the that I'm just, just going to for now, be for yeah. now, yeah. just
4: because I have this baby
3: coming. She has another arrival, and uh, any in a month or so. Yeah, so <laughs> two babies at once: book baby and real baby. Yep. what an exciting time! <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us again here on Heritage Radio Network, and uh, I could not be more excited for this book. I hope everyone checks out Vibrant India now from Ten Speed. Um, thanks, Chitra. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words
2: Ooh, I like the way you do. Whoa, the way you took it so slow. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network.